Well, welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I'm, uh, I'm tired today. It's very weird. I woke up at like 4.30 in the morning last night. And I, I always fall asleep with the TV on. And, and I always, like I fall asleep, like watching one of the late night shows. So I get some weird stuff or some early news. And then what I always do is, because Joanne lives back east, I text her. And I just, because I had to say hello at 7.30 for her. And I just hate it. But then I, I sat there and I woke up at 4.30. I kept trying to get back to sleep. Finally, at 6 o'clock. I doze off to like seven and then I went to the gym because it's like my fourth day there and I went and I got my coffee and I was like, wow, I got home. I uploaded an old podcast and I was like, by nine o'clock, I got a lot done. And I think this is, I mean, it's weird because I always think, you know, I feel bad. I get up at like seven or eight thirty in the morning and Joanne's almost at lunchtime for work, but it was just a good feeling. And I got ready for the show and I came down today and I got to the studio and I met my guest and he's a very funny gentleman. And his name is Roger Cabler. How you doing, Roger? Hey, good. Thanks, Steve. How are you? Good, good. I, I was saying it's funny. I, I was saying to him off air that I remember like watching you back on like the uh, MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour Remote Control and yeah. all that stuff. And it was it was just weird like, how big comedy was back then. I mean, it, I mean, you know for a fact it was just giant. Well, it was so giant, like anybody could pretty much get in, and I think that's why I caught a break, because I was so sloppy and sweaty, and I think I had this energy that people were like, it was like watching somebody have a fit in their bedroom, and that was, it wasn't that I I had great jokes, but I did have a very energetic, wild, you know, act. Well, you did a lot of impressions, too. Yes. Now, when you were a kid, because I know, like, I think every kid goes through a phase where we do impressions. Like I would try to do a John Wayne and it sucked. You know, and you would just try to do stuff and be like, oh, you old doggy. And then your parents aren't going to say when you're like five years old, oh, that sucks because they're like, oh, that's funny. But did you always want to do voices? Or I mean, how did, did you grow up wanting to get into acting and comedy? Uh, well, it's, um, do you remember the copycats? Like with Rich Little and, yeah. and, and Frank Orshin and stuff. Well, my father, w- who was sort of a, 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 an actor, uh, dreamt of being an actor would watch this kind of stuff and uh, and and say hey look at this and then you know he would encourage me to do it okay. so it wasn't like i wanted to but i did have a knack for it so even around like you know the time i was eight nine years old i was following my mother around the house with a raincoat on as as colombo going uh, mommy am i bothering you i'm sorry and finally she said you please go in the other room please <laughs> now, was that your first impression you did i think that and nixon because everybody's going around going i am not a crook you know well you know it's weird back then and, and you don't see it now but back then i mean rich little was huge yeah and you don't see that you don't see like a lot of impressionists now that are that big anymore but he had a variety he was on everything he was. And I don't think anybody but me does an impression of Rich Little. Is that your phone? I'm so sorry. It's all right. No. no I say, and, it's on and, buzz. And then I take, you, take it off the table. Because on the, on, the the on, the, on the head, it sounds oh, like a God. whale. No, it's fine. I'm going to cry. No, it's I'm great. so sorry. No, it's fine. It happens because you wouldn't think it's a radio station. Okay, it. people, just so you know, if I go like this, listen, this is just me tapping on it. Ready? This is me tapping on a table. You, you can't hear that, but... No. It's I boom. Played. Boom! It's like I should put the judge. Ding, on ding, it ding like goes the trolley. Else. You know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, it's fine. No. So what were you saying about uh, Rich Little? You're saying I'm the only one that does an actual impression of Rich Little as himself. Do it right now. Because he can't even do it. I want to hear it. Well, it's a little John Wayne and a little Carol Channing, <laughs> and maybe just a hint of Jimmy Stewart. 
And that is Rich Little. Now, is he still alive? Of course he is. Because I don't, you don't he's see him anymore. He's in Vegas, man. Okay, so yeah. that's, you know, I guess. Not in one of the big rooms, but. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, but he's doing. He's know, doing Fitzgerald's like a close down. But no, he, he, he did every impression back then. Yeah. But he's got to be like 75 now. He's got to be older. Yeah, but, you know, they, they get the work done with the hair, and you now, know, did, he looks pretty good. Did you ever meet him? Yes. Okay, now, was, did you tell him <laughs> I do a Rich Little impression? <laughs> no. But what was interesting, we did uh, uh, Evening at the Improv together. He was hosting it. And he had his brother on. Nobody knew about his brother, Fred Little, Rich Little's little brother, Fred. Okay. And Fred did in cartoons. He'd come on and he did this weird thing where he'd twist his fingers together with every impression. His hands were like kind of nervously twitching together. And he would go, that's all. And, you know, he would do cartoons, you know, and, and it was... It was cool because nobody knew that Rich Little had a brother who was right. also an impressionist. And you wouldn't, I mean, it sounds, what's funny is, it sounds so obvious that one, you know, they're little, but then you think oh, one of them made up a name or it just, there's so many littles. I mean, you wouldn't yeah. think, you know, did they look alike at all? There was definitely a resemblance, okay. but I don't think that the Fred Little, Rich Little's little brother, Fred, could do the facial stuff. He was more of a voice guy. Okay, now, he was good. Did you did did you do impressions on that? I didn't I get the did, yeah. Now, yeah. did Rich come up and say anything to you? Great, great. Oh, he's a lot of Johnny Carson. That's great stuff, kid. Great, <laughs> great stuff. Very. He's, what a gentleman. He was. You know, it was, it was nice. I felt very. You know, this was my hero. I said I, I watched you on on Copycats. Right. I didn't secretly tell him I thought Frank Gorshin was the best. <laughs> But I, I still, I watch Rich Little today. I watch a lot of YouTube, and I think he's amazing. I have to watch that again because I forget because I was so young. I, he was great. I mean, and you know, you come from a generation. I mean, I try to explain. I'm going to be 50 at the end of October. And Congrats, so, man! I just, I found out. I thought I was 40. I thought I was going to be 49, <laughs> and then I had to get some medicine. And they said birthday. I said 10:63, and I finally went. I called my girlfriend and said, oh my God, I'm going to be 50. But then I don't have to worry about it because now I had half the wearing gun. But I mean, we grew up watching that stuff. You know, we yeah. saw the TV yeah. that now everyone's flipping, flipping into reality. But, you know, Rich Little, I mean, it was, I mean, the Carol, the Carol Burnett show and stuff, which we'll talk about, you were on. Yeah. Or a little, the was, last incarnation of it. it yeah. But it, it was it was like your family watched it and it was so funny. I mean, yeah. and even Rich Little, you know, as a kid, you're in awe because he could do so many voices. Yeah. So you were doing impressions, you're doing your Columbo, uh -huh. and now when you're in high school, do you think you're going to do comedy? That, that was interesting because I was completely invisible. You will not find me in the yearbook. I was completely invisible. Now, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Framingham, Massachusetts. Okay. And um, eh, I was invisible. I had no interest in show business at that time. Um, I was going to be a fisherman. I had seen Jaws 30 times, and the only impression that I was doing at the time was Richard Dreyfuss okay. because I had seen the movie, and that's what I was going to be. You know? Now, did you did you have uh, experience in fishing, or you just said, no, I'm just going to go to the boat and fish? I was in love with the ocean. Okay. But then at some point, I think from between my sophomore and junior year, I decided I was going to be Robert Shaw instead and go be a fisherman. Forget the marine biology. I didn't have the brains okay. or the brain cells to study. Uh, left and uh, and I went to be a fisherman. So there was no interest. But I did spend my time at parties, and I would be the kind of sober one running around entertaining everybody. Okay, that, doing impressions. Doing impressions. So and, and wacky, you know. You want to be a fisherman, but you yeah, end up I in did. comedy. What did you become a fisherman? I did. Yeah. I, what I, was that like? I, I mean, well, it was amazing. I moved to Marblehead, which is north in the North, north Shaw, Boston. And I, I signed on a fishing boat with Bob Brown, who was actually the owner of the Andrea Gale okay. of The Perfect Storm. All right. Okay. Andrea Gale. So I knew that Bob Brown guy. He was my boss. 
and I spent a few months mending pots and hyannis, and then I did. One, I made one trip. Did you get sick? Everybody got sick. I've heard, like my friends, you said, and I hate the water. Um, I mean, I it's like I, I can't swim. I'll admit, it, I can't swim. I should learn. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back from when I was a kid. We were camping, and I jumped off a raft, and my foot got caught, and I flipped under it, and I freaked out. Even though it was like. Three feet of water, you know, a little kid. Oh yeah. But, uh, but ever since then, I'm like, I hate the water. But I had friends who used to go fishing all the time, and, and they would go out back on like in Stone Harbor, or Cape May, down in right. New Jersey, and they would start taking the boat out. And then he's like, we had to come back in. He goes, I go, why? He goes, because we got halfway out and everyone was puking. <laughs> but he said, just the water it was like a storm is coming. It's very yeah. choppy. Did you get water up your nose? Was that? I think so. Yeah. yeah that, that's that'll that's kill scary, it. especially as you're it's when you're a little kid. It's an it's an insult. It's waterboarding. Exactly. It's exactly. horrible. A very yeah. So so you went boating. <laughs> you did one trip. I did one trip. You went out for five days in March in uh, 1981. I almost want to tell this story to Robert Shaw. We stayed out for five days, and only two days of that was fishing. The West was rocking and rolling in the middle of the ocean. So you just, beautiful though. Really beautiful, like being in a painting. Vast God is out there. Everybody's throwing up, but it's incredible. And uh, and then the storm was thirty-five foot seas, man. Okay. At the bottom, those are big, big, big waves, and I I didn't think we were going to make it in. Um, and I prayed to God. I said, Look, man, if I make it back to shore. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll be an actor. I can't do this. Now, had you, but did you have the acting bug at all? Did you, had you done yeah, anything? At that in point, high, okay. Yeah. I had done stuff when I was a kid. I did professional dinner theater. I just kind of skipped this part. And um, when I was 18, this is in kind of an interesting story. My comedy debut at the Comedy Connection in Boston. Okay. I was 18. Somebody had an epileptic fit in the audience in the middle of my act. Now I really didn't know that's what was going on. I thought it was a heckler. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I kept going. I'm like, oh gosh, this is horrible. All right. So anyway, so blah blah blah, and uh, and then what you hear, and I have this on cassette. It's amazing. We taped it. Uh, happened to be rolling a tape on cassette, and and you hear, <gasps> you hear the guy hit the ground. You hear all these chairs moving. Oh my God, call an ambulance. I'm still up there trying to be funny. Right. And could you don't you don't get clueless, and it's your first time on <laughs> stage, of course. Now that's like, that's a yeah. good. I've heard a lot of debut stories. That's, I think that's the takes the cake for the debut story. That was horrible. My dad's like, hey, yeah, I'm rolling the aisles, but I mean, <laughs> it was horrible to hear this tape. Right. To hear what an epileptic fit sounds like, I thought uh, he was just drunk. Right. Oh my god. You know? Yeah. It's like it must be crazy. Horrible. So that happened. And yeah. how long till you came back on stage? I came back the next week. Okay. And um and it was a succession of bombings. That uh, you know how it is. You know, what was your act like? Were you doing impressions? Were you doing I was jokes? Doing or? impressions. I did like Mr. Magoo is God, doing. You know, I stood on a chair, going, you know, someone hey, told hey, me, I got one for it, you know. I'll tell you, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you, Frankenstein. I was wearing a hat the other day, yeah. that little fedora thing. Yeah. And someone told me I, I looked like a Mr. Magoo MFer. I don't think you look like I know. Mr. Magoo. I know. And then it was this, this girl, Martha, and it, a week before, her and my friend Amar were sitting there, and, and I go, I, I text Amar, I go, You call me a Mr. Magoo MF? And he goes, No, she did. And then I saw her, and I said, Okay, you know what? He could, and she's like, He's lying. And then he's walking down the street, and I go, Hey, I go, I was, I was getting a drink. I said, Hey, Amar, come here. And I said, you, you guys figure this out. And they both never copped to it. So one of them called me a Mr. Magoo MF, and I was pissed off because I don't look anything like Mr. You Magoo. You do not look like Mr. Exactly. Magoo. You look anything but like Mr. Thank Magoo. Thank you. You're See much that? more handsome. So if you hear that, guys, I don't look like Mr. Magoo. And you're not squinty. Right. Thank All right, you. So, Thank you. See you that? Know. Thank you. So you 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 now you're 
bombing and you're still you're, you still want to do comedy though you still you still are digging it or you well, just you know how it is you, you know get, you get sucked into you it even get addicted to the bombing in some weird way it's like let me get some more any kind of attention right kind of stuff and uh you know i did put it away and i just did some some community theater uh for a while and then um i got serious i went to summer stock and then when after that, I got, some, I got some real serious training and real work ethic in Summerstock. And I came back on around the time I was uh, 19, I, 18 and 19, I did Butterflies Are Free and Equus, which is real hardcore. Where at? In Summerstock? Or in no, the- that was in community theater. But Equus is a very serious play by Peter Schaefer, which an emotionally disturbed teenager blinds a bunch of horses in a, in a, in a fit of sexual being freaked out, okay. naked in a barn, blinding horses. Did you, get, did you have to get naked on stage? I didn't get naked on stage. I mimed it. And then, you know, when they think you're going to pull your pants down and you don't, they go, oh. Right. Especially the girl. They, yeah. they don't care about me, but, you know, the, the girl, yeah. they want to see her. I want to see the penis. I want to see the... You reminded me of Gilbert Godfrey. I want to see the penis. Get back on the stage. I thought I thought I thought I saw a penis. When you do that, you look a little like Gilbert Godfrey, <laughs> but you don't look like Mr. I, I, I don't know what's more of a. I think I think Magoo's more of a compliment, to be honest. I think well, <laughs> I'm just saying. I think Magoo's more of a compliment. If you naturally look like Mr. Magoo, no. But if you well, make the Gilbert Godfrey face, you're gonna look like Mc, yeah. And that was that was really good. That was good. That's good. I don't do impressions. I, Nobody yelled in the middle of this intense right. play. I want to see yeah. the penis. <laughs> Where's the penis and the boobs? So the penis and the boobs. So, so how do you? Okay, you're doing this serious play you're doing all this serious yeah. stuff how do you end up mm-hmm. going into comedy because my act is a drama my act is not a comedy okay it's a tragedy about a guy who has no identity of his own he gets lost in the impressions and they eventually take the uh, de niro is the is really the ringleader of and this. you look like de niro a little bit you do i mean no, you know you do a lot no, i mean you, you do a lot i would say it's like i look like uncle june you look like de niro we can we can do some sopranos here well i grew 30 pounds so i wouldn't look like de niro now yeah. i'm going around doing a raging bull but that's you know it's another story but anyway did you ever meet de niro I never met the near. I came close. Okay. I came close. Because he probably, they, it's so funny because so many people do yeah. an impression, but yeah. you look like so you can get, get away with it. Some of these people do it and you go, it's like, if I hear people always doing Christopher Walken, it's like, yeah. I see a little Asian kid doing Christopher Walken. I'm not believing it. Okay. A, a seven-year-old Korean kid doing yeah. Christopher Walken doesn't work. Okay? Hey, you know who started Christopher Walken? Jay Moore, I've heard. Wrong. I taught it to Jay Moore. Okay. You started Walken? Christopher Walken started it. Let's be right. honest. Okay. Come on. <laughs> let's get, let's get humble here for a minute, right. please. Now, you you started doing it? When I saw, um. It was, uh, what was that movie, Close Range? I saw the hook in there was drunk, paranoid, and dangerous as hell. And there, Jay Moore's like, what are you, wow, how do you do Christopher Walken? And this is when he was a kid. Right, because I know he started off and when he was I like said, 16. Oh, you, just, you pretend you're having a nervous breakdown and, you know, shake and rattle and roll. I don't even do a good Christopher Walken. But That's I a good Christopher Walken, though. I understand what he does and Jay Moore took it to another level and brought it on to the national stage yeah because everyone always like people sit there and in the comedy they go oh Jay Moore was, but now we know Roger Cable was Jay Moore admitted that that was me and somewhere in some interview he okay. said it was me I don't care yeah do it's I like, care, I care like, I, talk I, about I, it for I, five minutes yeah. no, but. <laughs> so you're so, so you're acquisite, so you did you start going oh. to stage in Boston, or did, did, you, were you, did you go to New York? When, 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 you, start, was, when yeah. you got down to theater. Okay, that's when I moved to New York. I said, okay, I can do this stuff. Do theater or comedy? I can comedy? do this acting thing, okay, and so, I mean it. I'm in business. So you moved down there to do acting. And uh-huh. Did you have a little back of your head going, I'm going to hit the comedy clubs? Good at this. No. This is what happened. Okay. I, go, I take my, 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 my theater, my community theater triumph into Herbert Berghoff's studio, which is a 
high-end acting studio in New York City. I do my Equus monologue for Herbert Berghoff, and I don't know how much we can swear in this, but I won't. No F word. No F word. You can say F word. Uh, but you can say B, you know, you can say like, BS. Herbert you can say bullshit. I, I don't believe what you're doing. This is all BS. So everything that, that people had written, this is brilliant, this is incredible, he's amazing. BS. In New York, this community theater crap did not fly. Okay. And I had to learn how to act organically. Because, you know. So they won. So I learned. They win. Uh, but I, I kept I know, I kept going to acting school. But then, and I did a series of plays. And then in, uh, in 85, 80, 85, I did a play with a famous playwright named uh, uh, Robert Patrick, who wrote Kennedy's Children. And... Um, it, it was such a, for six months, such a difficult experience. I never wanted to act again. But in the course of that play, I started doing impressions. Okay. And that instead of doing a character, I, I did a character who does impressions, and I started taking that to the streets and doing it on the street, and then I started doing the clubs. William Morris discovered me. Uh, oh, I was on a thing called The Trivial Show on Channel J. I did impressions. And then I just kept doing I, I made a club act about a guy who... Uh, who, who loses himself in, in these he's a schizophrenic he's not a schizophrenic he's a multiple personality disorder but all the personalities are celebrities so okay. they cut in on each other it's kind of like what Frank Kellyendo does but mine's not as funny mine's like threatening to kill each other okay. <laughs> this was my act and I would take the audience hostage as De Niro I said where are you going sit down and people were like, what? How, how did they react to that? Because it's very different because, you know, you sit there, you're not used to an impressionist well, being, not, I'm not, right. I mean, not, you're not used to an impressionist being somewhat aggressive. It was aggressive. And, and I think what it, what it was a, uh, inspired by Andy Kaufman because he didn't know what was really happening. Okay. If it was real. But I played it for keeps because I'm an actor, you know. So when I said sit down. And then, and then I would, after they sat down, I said, what's the matter? This is a comedy act. Think it okay. is, you know. <laughs> So, it took me serious. So, you know, but then it got, it, it, was in a, it was a psychodrama. And I made a movie about it. That uh, Was that the Bobby Roos movie? Yes. Okay, because I saw your credits and I was like, now, where can I get that? I want to see it. I should have brought it for you. I would I, love to see it. I, I, will, I will make sure you get a copy. So you're, you're hitting the comedy clubs. Yeah. And that's 85, 86? Uh, I started about 86, 87, so, yeah. And then you, it's, it's the rash of TV shows back then. So did you do all of them, like Caroline's and all that I stuff? I did all of those, and uh, then I got my own sitcom. Okay, now how did you get remote control? Just because you were a New York actor? Yeah, yeah. They, I, I was somebody that people were seeing, and I was with Colin Quinn and Dennis Leary, and Colin had the brilliant idea to put me in a diaper, so that was a total <laughs> waste of tape for me. But I pulled props out of the diaper like cigarettes and... Ken Over would slap it out of my face. And th there was some funny stuff. I did Marley Matlin in a diaper okay. for some reason. Stooges of a Lesser God. See, you know, it's funny. I, I, and when I perform, I do an impression of Marley Matlin. No, but I do her doing Marley Matlin's impression of doing Little John, that rapper. And I go, huh, okay. <laughs> and the crowd looks at me, and I go, I go, I go, huh. Okay, and they don't get it, and then the comics are laughing in the back, and I'm like, because it's so random. It's you're so, a comics comic. You're so random. I you love you, man. <laughs> I you, did that one, like, and I also you like yeah. this one. Yeah, I'll just because I'll, I'll, your impression is. Tell me what you think of this. Okay. I do my impression of Marlon Brando as a tuna fish. Uh -huh. it, it was you, Charlie. <laughs> I could have been in a container. See, that's 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 my. Uh, they're my impressions that no one gets. So I sit there. I don't do comedy that much anymore. Every once I do it, people go. I do a Jerry Lewis singing Jer Jimi Hendrix, and I do Jerry Lewis singing 
Aerosmith, it's all the lady, and everyone's like, do that. I'm like, I don't want to do it. They're like, I did a show. Wait, one, what like, was the Jerry Lewis lady thing? I go Jerry Lewis singing Jimi Hendrix. I go, ooh, Foxy lady, and then I do Jerry Lewis singing Kenny Rogers, and I go, lady, and then I do it one more time. Jerry Lewis singing Aerosmith, dude looks like a lady, and then sometimes during the middle of my act, I'll just randomly throw in a lady, and my girlfriend hates the bit. And I, do you know Jordan Brady? His, he I do. I, I love Jordan. Jordan Brady got my got my career restarted okay, here well, in LA. Actually, Jordan, Jordan said Jordan's been on a few times. I love he's Jordan like, Brady. He's like that bitch just not funny, Cooper. I go, no, people love it. And I, you know, and I booked him on a show I was doing, and I do the bit. No one laughs except Jordan in the back. Just and I was like, f you, Jordan. Shut up. You're you're, you're right. I mean, but you know, it's funny though. I mean, it's, he was joking around, but he's he's great. The thing is, what I'm getting from you is that you know we are really cut from the same cloth. I love the Three Stooges. I love stuff that's deeply silly. I'm not a really cerebral guy, although I appreciate it and it helps. Jump! I write cerebral when I tweet. I cerebral. You cerebral when you tweet. Yeah. But the comedy of hearing Jerry Lewis doing Kenny Rogers, right, is sublime to somebody who just needs a, a gut laugh, man. Right. I know. And I appreciate that's a gift. <laughs> I, that's what that's why I was doing Marley Matlin Stooges of a Lesser Guy. Right. It's the same thing. It's just out know, there, but it's so funny because it's it's, it's, yeah, it's, exp- it's just smart. So okay, so now well, you said you had a sitcom, but when did you get when did you become the Zima guy? No, because you know I oh, made I made a man. reference about Zima yeah. once a while ago because we were talking about. I was like, do you remember Zima? When I was in college, there was a drink called California Cooler, mm-hmm. and that was they, that. They, they, they sell in a sixty four ounce bottle. Yeah. And they had red and green, and we would drink that. Like right. when I went to a small school in New Jersey near the Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. And we would play hockey sack and play, listen to Bad Company and drink California Cooler on Saturday afternoons to get rid of our hangovers. When? How did the Zima happen? I mean, were you just? I mean, because that's Zima. People, if you don't know, you young people listening, Zima was huge. You see all these Mike's Hard Lemonade and all that crap. Zima was like the drink, and it was mm-hmm. in this nice, fashionable, you know, slick packaging, you know, like cool bottle. No, you were the Zima guy. Yeah. Um, what happened was. Stephen, I, I um, again, I was known for being a stand-up. They were looking at potential spokespeople. They flew me, and a, a number of people auditioned for this. They were looking for an oddball, um, which I was, and they flew me to San Francisco, and I bombed the audition for the first five or so, ten minutes. They tried to work with me. I was too freaked out, and they said, okay, thank you, which means bye. Right. And I said, look, I got this. I just got to get past the nerves. Give me five minutes and I'll show you the Zima guy. And I plowed through it. And I was able to get past what was in my way, which was me, and just do what I thought was, you know, the most intriguing, interesting, funny stuff. And found this character and did this thing. And, uh, and they hired me and it turned into, you know, something that was very, very lucrative. Um, what I didn't know was was that it was something you really get tied to and known for, right? You know, because I'm an actor, and and uh, that's how I'm known. Now I'm the Zima guy. Now you're seeing Zima on Saturday Night Live. You're seeing me in this hat, and and I got fired from a TV show because of it. And I couldn't. You can't sell beer and be on 
a certain kind of show. Right, you can't, yeah, you can't play like a right. father if you're selling beer. Right. I was supposed to be a teacher on Saved by the Bell, and they had to fire me the second day because it was too much of a conflict. Now, did people just start recognizing you everywhere? Because, I mean, there's yeah. well, commercials, campaigns, <laughs> but that's like, like there's a guy, Don yeah. McMillan, who is the bud guy. Yeah. He's from my hometown. I know, yeah. And everyone recognized, because, you know, sure. and you go in and there's like a cutout of you, or there's a poster at a liquor store. Right. And everyone's just, and they probably just sit there, I mean, what were, was any crazy people? Yeah. You know what's fun about me? I don't care. Right. See, I was actually bringing cases of Zima to parties. And I was actually um, very involved in the marketing and very up on the product. And so, you know, I was in a supermarket one day in my hometown here in, in L.A., on my back on the floor, reaching down, way down in the back for the last case of Zima. And somebody walked by there and looked down and said, aren't you the Zima guy? And I said... I'm not only the Zima guy, but I make sure that <laughs> supermarkets are completely stocked. But after, a, and they thought that was cool because that's the Zima guy in the supermarket on the floor looking up at him. Right. Right. Oh yeah, people and people get so yeah. it's like oh my god, it's like it's like you know <laughs> like, that's the Zima. I, I know you know it's like and you know if it was like this days of social media, then you'd be right. a tweet. Oh, I just saw the Zima guy. Hashtag Zima. Uh, hashtag hashtag. Uh, Good drink. Hashtag alcohol. Oh. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Right. So did you have any any weirdos? I mean, any, any weird experiences? Because, yeah. I mean, like Don had said, he would go, because he was the bud guy and he played right. the delivery guy and he would go to the Super Bowl every year and he said, they go. He have to go to the bar to make experiences. But once again, is he, he said, the big guy? No, not the big African American guy. Oh, that's okay. that's the Miller guy. Don was this oh, redhead sorry. guy, tall and thin, and played a but same same character. I'm sure, I know. But he, he said same thing. Like you go and someone's drunk. Hey, it's the bud dude. Oh, they man. Think. I mean, what, what was some any good stories? Well, yeah, with you know on the golf course or whatever. And I was out. Uh, uh, doing a whale watch with my kid, and you know these people do approach you, and it's like with anything, it's fun to try to reach for the brass ring and get it, and then you're suddenly you're somebody and you're famous and you're recognizable. But after a while, it was just like, yeah, if somebody said something to me and I was out in public doing my life, I'd just say, yeah, I get a lot of that. Yeah, and it's a, just a, a nice kind of way of saying I'm not him, but I I know I kind of look like him, and then they leave you alone. Okay, dude, you should be like a uh, like a stand-in, man. You know, yeah, so, that's funny. Secretly, as of somebody who's desperately, you know, clawed their way to the brass ring, you're kind of thrilled. But there's a sickness that goes with it. It's not about the work anymore. It's about the stuff. Well, that's yeah, my guest. Uh it was an hour before you talked about the same thing when she got her sitcom. It was just changed mm. you. You know, it's, mm. it's you just you, if you're not ready for it, you know, you, you, it changes your life. I Especially mean, if you fail, right? If the sitcom fails. Now, you, know, you said, did your was your sitcom before the Zima guy? About the same time. Okay, now what was what was the premise for the sitcom? Sitcom was slightly before. Uh, I was a white DJ in all black radio station. Okay. They hire me thinking I'm black. It ran for six episodes and died. Opposite Martin. Martin was right. That was rhythm and soul. Rhythm and Blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're Bobby Soul. I was Bobby Soul. And, uh, you know, man, we had a good time. I worked really, really hard. But we were confined by fear because the L.A. riots were just breaking out. We had a okay. lot, of, lot of social, pro you know, uh, tensions, um, you know, um, <sighs> racial tension. We could not underline that problem. So we just had to pretend there was no color. And we couldn't go right to the heart of the matter. And th the show died. And what what I noticed was they kept dumbing down my characters. Dude. Okay, and so I was, you have no control on that. You, you're, I mean, you can't sit there and go, "This is getting stupid." If you're smart and you know what to do around Hollywood, you can probably make a change. But I was not smart. I didn't know what to do, and I self-destructed in many ways. And 
one day I was watching the show with a bunch of my friends in my house eating Chinese food, and I looked at the show and I had felt like it was so bad I had tracked, stepped in dog do and tracked it into millions of living rooms. That's the embarrassment. I, yeah, I mean, it's so fine. But the thing is, it's like for when you're doing it, you probably don't think that, you know, because you're, you're giving your all, you're acting. And you might know if the script's crappy, but once again, you really can't say anything because, you know, the, the, the network. But yeah. then when you see it, and it must be weird, and it must be weird to see, I was in this really crappy movie, awful B movie called Killer Drag Queens on Dope. And it's got Freddie Boom Boom Washington and oh, yeah. Alexis Arquette, and it's got this guy, Mark Beltzman, who's a great improv Olympic guy and uh-huh. Second City guy. And we were at a party one night and as a joke my friend put it on mm. and and it was I mean it was bad I mean I wasn't bad and I played a gangster with Anthony and Tony so someone right. I saw a review like on YouTube someone's like this movie's awful but those two guys are okay and uh, <laughs> but uh, you, it's like you feel that embarrassment like right. I'm watching it I'm like turn it off I said I went out that's when I smoked right. I went outside and had cigarettes I was like oh, no, I can't watch this right. but but when it's on network TV when you're around your friends I mean did you, you, felt, did you feel small did you feel like embarrassed or what yeah I was embarrassed I mean look I was 30 years old I was out to blame everybody and you know I've since learned through a lot of soul searching and stepping away from the business that I'm responsible for whatever I wanted to be in the business right I didn't do all the things that I was told that I needed to do um, I was self-destructive around certain things I acted badly um, towards the you know the executives uh, and Ultimately, I don't play the blame game. I don't blame Hollywood for being what it is. I look at my part in it at this point, and I am cool with whatever happened. And I have come back. Well, here we are on the radio. Somebody right. reached out, and now I'm on the radio. Right. And I'm comfortable. I'm cool, I'm cool with, with Well, yeah, and, with and this. Bruce Fine had recommended you. Yeah. you know, but now, okay, now after the TV show, Mm. What happened then? Because I know there's because you. I, there's I'm a sure, gap. I'm sure. No, I'm sure there's a, a story. I mean, well, did you read for Tales from the Crypt? No, they just brought me into stuff like that for. Okay, because no, I can see you reading for it because like John Cassier was on the show. Uh, yeah, and I can see like yeah. you know you guys have a similar look and you have the similar oh, voice. We, and you're we both also impressions. Were a, we played brothers in a in a pilot together. Okay, Vidiots. He was my little brother. Okay, because yeah, so, he, well, yeah, okay, John's funny because you guys you have a similar look and and you're both yeah. impressionists. So I could see it's like I know he said it was. Right. He's good. Yeah, oh, he's, oh, he's great. He's great he's and he's magical. nicest guy. Yeah. Nicest guy. Tell him I said hi. He's he was actually in a comedy troupe with Jeff Martyr when Jeff was like 16. Oh my god. So it was very weird. Very weird. Yeah. So you you were in the, the show. The show goes off. Oh, the sitcom. Yeah. And then what do you do? Are you, are you depressed? Well, you know what? My career at that point was like the Zapruder film. Uh, honestly, you know, the shot to the arm, the shot to the neck, and then the, the last back and to the left. So it went rhythm and blues, Zima, which I will tell you how that ended if you want to hear it. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. And then this... Um, uh, Saved by the Bell. I was fired from that after two days. So the Zima, how'd that end? Uh, that ended because the while we had one of the biggest launches in beverage history, the product didn't hold up. The ads were good. They had a great launch, but the product was largely maligned, and they felt one of the ways to handle it. Now, I had been on my third year that the contract was coming out would have been like a half a million dollars. Okay. It was a lot of money, but the ad agency didn't get back to me. One day I'm on the radio with Brother Weeze. I don't know if you know who that know. is in, in Rochester, New York. I'm doing a comedy show there. Somebody calls in and says, "Hey, Zima guy, you know you're fired." And I said, "What are you talking about? Come on!" And there's you know somebody calling and pranking, and he said, "No, go get look at the new bottles." So. We ordered, the, we had somebody bring in a six-pack of Zima, and it's clear, so you can see the inside of the label. It says, good news, we dumped the character with the hat, which was me. Right. So that's and, just, 
That's that's jerk move. Horrible, horrible. I felt so bad. I didn't know what to do. I'm on the air, humiliated again, in front of thousands of people. Right, right. I pop open a Zima and I start drinking on the on the air, you know. And I start loosening up and talking about the product. Right. I'm the spokesman for this thing, right? <laughs> I start talking about the product. It tastes like carbonated pee. I'm t- and it didn't really, but I say like, one zip and you want to commit suicide, you know. And I started going off on because yeah, everything was the S and Z. Yes. Uh, okay. I started saying nasty things about Coors, which is the parent company. And then when the radio show's over, I got a note from the one of the dis- local distributors, like. And I realized somebody's going to kill me. Nobody killed me, but I left a note in my hotel room. If I'm missing, here's where I'm at. Okay. Because I was very, very scared for my life at this point. But this is what I mean by self-destructive. I am han- reacted emotionally in a way that was totally inappropriate. If I'd shut up, I probably would have got a nice, tidy lawsuit. Stop rents or, or anything. Yeah. yeah. But not what I did. Okay. Don't do that. Right. So, You're the spokesman. Please shut up. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> So, you know, this is, you know, I was so officially the spokesman. The spokesman, supposedly. <laughs> so, and I, I didn't take, why did I have to take the blame for this stuff? So, so I felt very victimized. I don't feel victimized anymore. It, was a, it's a, it makes a great story. So, yeah, but it's, I mean, it's very interesting because, I mean, I just, it's also, I mean, it's, it's, you lost the series because they thought of you as this Zima guy. And then, no, the, no, the, the, the say by, by the bell. The bell yeah. And then, and then you, you do that happens and then they get rid of you when it's right. like and, you, and it, make, it must make you feel awful because it's like you're not you're, you're just there like, hey you're the guy right. you're the spokesperson you do what they write and it's like if your yeah. ad agencies suck yeah. I'm telling these people weren't watching Mad Men if they were watching Mad Men <laughs> it would have been a different thing well they, it wasn't their fault it was their product and, and I don't blame anybody today and what happened with those three things ending the way they did getting fired getting cancelled and getting fired again um I did feel like it was a Zapruder film. I felt so... And my agent called and said, dude, you're Chernobyl. You're not going to get hired. So I did little things like Sybil and, 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 you know, I had a great run. You know, I got to work with Carol Burnett for four months on her show. How was that? That was awesome. It's comedy camp. I mean, she was... She's amazing. Now, who else was on the cast? I mean, was that... The uh, Corman, Jan, those guys were... Right. Uh, Richard Kind, who's the new oh, yeah. Grandpa Munster. Richard Kind. He just reminds me of him somehow. That's funny. Actually, that's a little Gilberty. Um, sorry for the screaming. Um, Jan, um, do you remember Rick Aviles? You know, it's funny. I, don't, I didn't know him, but I was going to bring him up because when you're talking about performing on the street, yeah. I'd seen someone post on Facebook about yeah. performing with Rick Aviles. On the street, like the greatest street performer yeah, I, I've ever seen, and I think a guest—I forget who the guest was. I think it was Kassir. Kassir talked okay, about it, right. but so so he was on it. So do you, do you remember? Hey, Bobby, you seen the bread I man? Re- I don't really remember him. Oh, That's the thing. He was the villain in Ghost. He was uh, all right. Okay, yeah. He was okay. the bad guy in Ghost, and he was a what a wonderful guy, and he died. Young, yeah, you know, but I was glad I got to work with him. So but Carol, you know, I mean, how was it? Because she's like a comedy, like, was she just smooth? Was it like she's you're just going, like yeah. she just nails stuff? Like, I mean, like she must just she's done it. She just must know how to deliver it. She's magical. I mean, she 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 eats the scripts like she's eating a fine meal. She just she just goes after the work with a hunger and likes everybody to play. You know, and we all got to play, and it was a little upsetting again for me because I wasn't. 
confident enough to really be one of the main strong actors on okay. the show. So I did a lot of little parts, but I also got to warm the audience up with my act. Did and you like that? I love that. I mean, there were a lot of very famous people in the audience, and I got to perform for them. And that's what we do anyway. So that was great. And I did get to do some impressions on the show. Well, that's cool. And, and the, that, the, the audience warm was funny, because that shirt I'm wearing, Sullivan and Son, is a show that's coming out on TBS. Oh, cool. And I know the warm-up guy has been on the show. So when my girlfriend was in town, we went to see the taping of it. Right. And he asked to keep, he's working the whole time. Then he gave her this shirt, but of course it doesn't fit her. So I said, he had a pile of scripts. I said, hey, I said, Gary, can you uh, give Joanna a script? And that's, I mean, she's, I was a, she's a, he's like, yeah. And she was so happy. She's like, here, take the shirt. That's cool. Kind of, see that. It's so, a nice shirt. It's Solomon. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's good show. Good. I think it starts uh, next this week or next oh, week. Oh, okay, I'll keep an eye on It's on TBS. So you, you do the Carol Burnett. Yeah, and then, the, and then things took off. From there, I got the sitcom, the Rhythm and Blues. So that was the last thing I did before. And then what did you do after the Zemo? Okay, did you after just pull everything, out? the dust settled, and my agent said, okay, dude, you're Chernobyl. You're not going to work. Right. I tried to work. Um, Were you I, still doing stand up? See, at all? that's a good point. I started to uh, I not want to do stand up. I had a new son, and right. that was a huge thing for you me. Want I wanted to, to be with my family, yeah. you know. Basically, um, when. The writing was on... Well, then I did Bobby Roos, okay? There was a, a, a bit of a gap in, in a few years where I really just did guest spots and stuff, but then I really wanted to do something... I had only been doing really dumb stuff with impressions, and I said, I've got to do this movie about a guy who does impressions who can't stop right. and ultimately loses control, does them out in the street, doesn't get out of character with his... He meets a girl. Did you write it? Yeah. Okay, so you it was, wrote it. It was largely improvised, but okay. I did write it. So the thing would be like, I'm, I'm, I'm like De Niro in the, in the supermarket, and this girl's like, oh, wow, you kind of look like De Niro. I said, you want to go out you know, and get some coffee or something? So we end up in bed, and the next morning she wakes up, and I'm Robin Williams. Okay. I'm like, hey, good morning. You know, and she's like, what the hell? I don't, what are you doing? I said, okay. hey, I've never seen this side of you either, okay? And that's the kind of stuff, and it goes from one to the other. And then we won some awards, and... And I think it's my best work as an actor. And I finally got to do something with impressions that meant something to me. Right. So you do that. Now, did it, how did it do? Did it? I mean, well, we went to film festivals. Okay. It didn't have the. Um, it didn't. Ha it had a, a an independent quality that wouldn't have held up okay. commercially. All right. So after that, what do you do? I mean, you're happy that now you see. I think now you're right. probably making a comeback. You're feeling right. good about yourself. You're like, well, I did this great piece of work. You know, after I you know, after you were self-destructive. Right. I mean, was was that like a you were just felt like you were back in the biz now, or were you still like I don't know if I want to go back in the biz. Well, I'm, I'm, we're getting into some personal territory here. I'm not sure how much I should reveal. Okay, I don't. But I mean, whatever. For the sake of my story, if you want to get honest about my story. I had, um, should we? I'm fine. Yeah, it's just people listening. You know, it's, I, if you feel How many people listening to this when they listen? Between twenty five and 40,000. So yeah, it's up to I you. I think they can handle it. Oh, yeah, it's up to you. If you what do you want to do? Have you seen the movie Shine? With, uh, yeah, with uh, Jeffrey Rush. Right. Have you seen, okay, so look at that without half the brilliance, okay? Because I'm nowhere near that kind of, like, I'm not a genius like that, but... I think you could safely say that I was easily uh, exhausted. Okay. And there were there were signs of something not right in some of my performances on stage where I'd start to throw things at the audience. I was working on a very intense play about a group of mental patients who do a variety show at a hospital and one of them was was very sick and I started acting that out on stage okay. and uh, it became kind of real. And after Rhythm and Blues and everything ended, I had been on a five or six year just constant 
fully, you know, pedal to the metal roll, and I crashed. All right. And I ended up needing rest. People say it's exhaustion. You know, I ended up needing help. All right. So you went and got help. I got help, and I got out of the business. It was recommended that I just take a break. And I was going to get out for a year, and I got out for a number of years, and I learned uh, how to paint. I'd always been interested in, in, in painting, but I, I ended up just really broke. And I got a job uh, at a furniture store where they paint furniture and make it look old okay. and, and do like floral designs on stuff. So I started painting and I loved it. See, that's cool. And those furniture, those furniture stores are cool. I yeah. mean, I, I'm just trying to think. Shabby chic. I used to do one that was, uh, oh, because there used to be one in, when I lived in San Diego. It was like yeah. unfinished furniture. Right. And I used to always go, yeah, I, got, I went to unfinished furniture. I got a table with three legs. Cause it was, <laughs> but but it, it's like sometimes people don't get that. Right. But, um, but no, so, so you were painting. So was probably, that was probably because you were so grinding so hard. Yeah. That was probably just so relaxing. Your mind probably, you went, you went to get help. And then yet you came out. You said, hey, you know what? This is relaxing. So you started Therapeutic. Thera- yes. <laughs> it's very therapeutic. Now, did people recognize you when you Sometimes. were there? Okay. But what's happened is, you know, well, in the interim, Barry Katz, I don't know if you know Barry. He's one of my early guests. Okay, yeah. good. Well, he called me and said, ah, I can't do Barry. It's probably half your guests. Barry, no, I have Barry, uh, but Barry, looks like, Barry looks like Dirk Nowitzki. He looks like Dirk Nowitzki. The hair, and he's tall. Isn't that weird? I was trying to think of Dirk's name the other day. I'm like, to my wife, that's a bad. There's Barry Katz. He's Barry's, not in, Barry's not New Wave anymore. No, I know, but I met with him about a month ago. Okay, great guy. He's oh, great, great, great stories. We're going to possibly stories. do some stuff. I'm doing Good. some little films for him right now. But um, Hobo Hamlet is one of them. Okay. So, so Anyway, so Barry calls me and said, uh, I'm doing this show. It's about impressionists, lookalikes. Uh, you know, it's a contest, like a reality show. So I ended up doing Robin Williams in front of 8 million people after not having performed for four years. And you know, if you're going to step out on stage after not performing, try a coffee house. Right. Maybe an open mic. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did not it, 8 yeah. million people. I was off the stage for 10 years. You know. And I, I, went, and, but I, didn't, I went to this little place. And reason put my way back in, my friend at an Italian restaurant, and I said, "I was doing open mic. I don't know any comics. I knew comics out here, but sure. you know, my friends like the guys I started with, Paul F. Tompkins and Adam McKay's, and all of them. They're not going to be like, oh, y'all yeah, come down to Victorio's in Burbank, you know. So I had no idea how to get comics because I didn't know anyone. Right. So I put a thing on Craigslist. Man, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I got some good comics, but then you get some stuff like a guy who's like the worst ventriloquist ever, wow. and then and then they get mad because you're like not mad, but the you dummy gets mad. Yeah, exactly. No, they don't want to book you. I mean, I don't want to book them because they just they weren't funny they're crazy they're from craigslist yeah, exactly but I, was, I didn't know how to get comics and luckily i met people what a great for a film man it's just you, know, you gotta make this movie well actually craigslist we, comics we actually i used to write for this uh, comedy oh. troupe and this guy topper crew uh, was yeah. um, he was a great guy we had an idea for a, a, a movie that it was we wanted to take out an ad mm. for just like on craigslist and say <laughs> say okay we're doing a new show and we all we were just booking like freak acts you know, just get the crazy yes. acts. But then, then we have like four freak acts planted in the in the room and you just film the room. And so like, let's say someone's like trying to eat. Oh, you, you eat fire. I'll tell you what I do. And just see the bat. But we just never, he moved back to Rhode Island. I but think it it's just, still worthy it was project. Just, it was just an idea that we, it's so different. But now the thing is with all the hidden camera crap, people might think. But when they're freak acts, I don't think they really know. <laughs> I don't think a freak act really because you, you see some of these acts and you're like I don't get it you know it's not funny but I'm sure you could find the line yeah so but enough about that so uh, you what we're talking about you're um 
You so you do the impersonation. How do you do as a as the Robin Williams? Because you were known yeah. as a very big Robin Williams impersonator. Well, Barry knew that, and uh, um, he um, I did good. I got in the last. You know, out of all those people, I came in the last. Ten, like ten. Did you did you enjoy getting back on stage, or were you like? Yeah, I I think because when I when I, I like I got into the semifinals, that was a big moment. I saw my wife in the audience after you know after all these years of not having performed. Right. And I felt that moment like in shine, like I'm I'm back. Okay. And this feels really good. I'm at the Orpheum, and whatever happens, I'm in front of thousands of people right now. And this feels really good, and th- and I love you. And that that was with one look. I just said that to her. Okay. Thank you. And it was like kind of coming back from a very difficult uh, rehabilitation, and you know, mentally, emotionally, uh, I was always too thin-skinned to really make it in this business, and I still am. It has to be on my terms. I can't. Okay. You know, auditioning is a nightmare. I give people too much power. You know, so when I can do homegrown stuff. Like you, you were just talking about something, creating something, right. being the guy, without having to ask permission to do something. This was a lot of love of that about painting. You know, I don't have to ask somebody, "Can I do this painting?" You just paint it. So yeah, I mean, once I started the painting stuff, I, I now have two careers. I I do stand up sometimes, and and I. I just finished illustrating this children's book. So how did it, well, first, we'll get to that book, but one, I know the stand-up though. I know mm. Bruce, right, do you run into Bruce somewhere or he said you did it, you weren't going to do the show and you got up and did real well or, because <laughs> yeah, he does, he does the uh, rap pack or, no, oh, the he's laugh pack, I the laugh pack. laugh pack. And you know, Bruce brought me back too. I, I hadn't done anything after the Barry thing that a few years passed and I, I did some clubs and I ended up at, at Haraz in, in Vegas and that was a nice little comeback. Did you enjoy it? Man, because it's a you grind. Know what? A comeback should be like swinging for the fences. I bunted foul on that comeback. Okay, I did well with the with the Barry Katz show. That was a good experience, but personally, I was too freaked out to really put my heart into it. This then this last comeback, which started with Bruce, fine. Now, how did I? Did he well, call you? Or? No, I was on Facebook trying to drum up business for portraits. Are you I'm on painting Facebook? Families, I'm doing dogs. I'll add you on Facebook. I do. Okay, you too. I, I I'm doing like all kinds of portraits and art, and you know this is after several years of doing murals and and stuff. I, now I've got a business. I do portraits. I do dogs and people and landscapes. And I call. And I get. I see Bruce's on there on Facebook. So I say, Hey, Bruce, blah blah blah. How you doing? You want a portrait of your family? And he says, Yeah. Oh, but I do this thing on you know Saturday nights. You want to come down? I came down and he called me up. But I I hadn't really got any material. But right. I, I had old stuff sort of tucked away. So I got up and I did a rough version of it. And then it killed for some reason, maybe because I didn't care. That's I think that's what happens. I think yes. you know that's like for me. I mean, I honestly I do comedy every once in a while. Like when I go mm-hmm. back east to see my girlfriend, I'll book something. Like when yeah. people June nineteenth, I'll be playing the Parks Casino in Ben Salem, PA. Ah, cool, and, uh, Ben Salem. Ben Salem, yeah. I ben Salem. Used to be, yeah, old comedy cabarets with yes. Scott Patty. I worked in ben, yeah, Salem. ben Salem, right across the street from the Yamish people. Am I wrong? Isn't that where the Yamish people? Yamish people are in Lancaster. Oh, where's Ben Salem? <laughs> Northeast Philly. Whoopi. <laughs> they're, 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 ma- they're mafia Amish. <laughs> mafia? <laughs> What's mafia Amish? I know. I wrote a movie called Gutfellows. It's about a documentary about the Amish mafia. But then I did a show called the Amish mafia. But this was a mixture of Goodfellas and Take the Money and Run by Woody Allen. I love this. But, uh, I, just, I, I, did, I wrote mafia. it years ago. I wrote it years ago. And is I just there an Amish mafia? No. Well, now there's a reality show called Amish mafia where they have these people. There is? Yeah, but it's, it's all bullshit. It's like, but I'm sitting there looking at going, these people stole my, because I had like Funnel, Funnel Cake Smith and all these different names, you know. Funnel Cakes. You know, I just, I, I, I read a book on the Amish and just, 
but they spoke like the Queen's English. They didn't speak like they said thee and thy and all this shit. But um, I'll have to send you a copy uh, I love of it. This, please. I wrote, I wrote it. I don't even know where I have it. That's just so funny. I don't know if I have it anymore. funny. But uh, so okay. So so you but you were you you. That's me when I went back to do it. Like I'll go back to see my girlfriend. I'll book something local. I just around my hometown. Right. And I don't care when I go on stage. And I don't I don't practice my act. They're like, oh, you got to do thirty minutes. I'm like, all right. And then I just say, all right, I'll talk about. Camden, New Jersey. And then right. I just go on a thing and right. everyone's like, man, you did really well. I said, because I don't care. I mean, radio is my main thing and I'm writing a cookbook. That's another thing. Cool. But uh, but I don't care when I go on stage anymore. It's just, it's fun now. It's like when I started, it was fun. And then you get to the point where yeah. you're working and you have to worry about doing good and making your money. That it doesn't become fun anymore. And that's, that's when I left for the first time. I said, I did this to have fun. I didn't do it to like worry that if I do a bit, I'm going to get fired by a club. So. Right. So you so you went to Bruce's and that's you did a nice fine. place to be. Yeah, you have to. Right. But you went to Bruce's and you did fine. And now from that, didn't you get this uh, this De Niro movie or celebrity movie? Right. Or how'd that happen? Through Jordan Brady. Jordan. Okay. Jo- I met Jordan that first night. All right. That uh, that I went up on stage and we talked, and and uh, at that time I wasn't doing much and and but I did De Niro on stage. I think it was uh, I was either doing Overactors Anonymous or De Niro and Petchy doing Who's on First, which is okay. kind of funny. I did very funny. Um, so he said, why don't we do something? And I said, well, I really want to do Taxi Driver, the sequel, which is De Niro's older and his wife, he's married to Sybil Shepard and okay. she's cranky and she's penhacking him or whatever you call it. Henpacking. Henpacking. Is it henpacking? Henpacking. What is penhacking? I have no idea. I, I think that's like when you steal someone's pen. You ca- <laughs> you, it's called pen hacking. You, you, you copy someone's pen, you draw a picture of it, and it's not a good version. Like a comic is a hack. Pen, a pen pen's hacking. a hack. I've never heard well, of it. Thanks for straightening but that I, up. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Now what, now what about, what about the no, movie? No, we ended up doing a... <laughs> we ended up doing a... De Niro gets pissed doing a Funyuns commercial. I used to love Funyuns. Funyuns... I can't eat them anymore. No. Too much sodium. No. It's a lot of salt. But anyway, we did that, and then, uh, you know, happened that they were looking for a De Niro for this movie, and I, we sent a copy of that over, and they cast me. So that was a short. You did a short with Jordan. Yeah, with Jordan, and he was a great director. He's, cr- he's a great Terrific guy. Yeah. Uh, commercial. I hope we're going to do something. And maybe. his career is the same. Like, he was in the forefront, you know, yeah. the MTV, and then his career changed. And, right. you know, but that happens. You got to... Go in different avenues. You he's know? working all the time. I know now he's, and I think he's, he's a lot happier. Fire. Yeah, I mean, he joke. He'll, he'll perform every once in a while, but he doesn't yeah, have to because that's his thing. I, I am comic. When you took that, that was a I great, a very acclaimed movie. People loved it. Yeah, I know. and that's the thing. So you do this the the the, the not another. It's called not another celebrity movie. Oh, that, right. Now, what was who directed? Was that a big budget? Um, no, but it was this. You know, it was this professional SAG movie. It was a big, big picture, and. Uh, uh, they got a lot of great lookalikes, and you know the the thing that I got to do, which I didn't think I would, was get to write my own part because okay. I know De Niro in and out. I do a lot of lookalike gigs. I know how he talks, what he says. I know all the lines from his movies, and they let me run with it a little bit, and the and that was fun. I got to improvise a lot, so I don't know when the movie's coming out, but you know it's. Um, I'll let you know. It's, it, yeah. was, it was a lot of fun to do that, Fair to enough. get up in De Niro every day. I think I annoyed some people because I get really into it. Okay. I, I approached it as if I was De Niro having to do a character. All right. So when I said, okay, who's this guy? He's kind of a loser. He's overweight. He's, you know, his career's in the toilet. He did those Fokker movies. Nobody, you know, he's kind of not serious. Now he owns a strip club and he's in trouble with the mob and he's kind of gets beat up. And I figured, what's my arc? I got to get out of this mess. I got to find a way to redeem myself. And I made up a bunch of stuff. 
to help me with that arc. So really, it seemed like De Niro, you know, a real performance right. by De Niro. And I, I actually, we did a screening in L.A., and I got a, it was a nice... Good reaction? I don't want to, you know. But that's good, though. You know, you, gotta, you, know, you deserve it. Everybody deserves it. Everybody yeah. works hard. I'm obsessive, though. Okay, well, you know what I'm saying? I work obsessively. That's why it's not fun for me sometimes. Okay. Because if I don't look like De Niro, if I don't look like Robin Williams, I'm not having a good time. I want to tweeze my eyebrows and get blue contacts. I want to, you know, emotion, my, my voice was deeper. I really know how to do the voice. I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I really check. My nose was bigger. I use a putty for a nose because it's too small. I'm, it's obsessive. Okay. So that's, that's why I needed to stop this. Right. So now, now after all this obsession, how would you get into the children's books? That's another obsessive thing because when I paint. Right. See, what happened was we wanted to do a children's book based on my wife had written a screenplay about a pit bull. Okay. This adorable, you know, sweet pit bull who happens to be a pit bull. Nobody has taken on this material. This subject, pit bulls, way out of bounds. But she wanted to do it. And I said, she wrote a screenplay. An agent really liked it. He said, why don't you do a children's book? And I said, let's do it. I'll illustrate it. And I had done all these dog portraits. So in order to raise money on a Kickstarter, I said, you donate a certain amount of money. I'll put your dog in the book. So we ended up raising a bunch of money, and all these people, about 80 people, had me paint their dogs into the book. So there's like 120 dogs okay. in this book that are real dogs. Some of them have, have deceased, but it took me a year. And um, <laughs> it's very difficult because I can't just draw anything. i got to draw something that looks like their dogs. Right. Paint, so you, oil painting. These yeah, are oil paintings. It's not like just sitting there going, drawing any dog. You have to draw their dog. And I have to find them doing something. We can't have a bunch of portraits. Right. So they're running. They're playing Kong of War. They're, they're in, in trouble. They're doing stuff. So I've got to figure out a way to you know, make these dog, make this thing alive. So you've, had a, you've painted over 100 dogs, 80 dogs, 100 there's dogs? Been 100, there's 120 animals and people in it. Now, what's the, book, what's the book called? It's called Montague, the Pit Bull of Park Avenue. Okay. And the, advance, the advances have been amazing. People have read it, and they're, they're, it's very emotional. What's the, is it he's, he's a pit bull that's liked, or is he like a mean pit bull? Or, well, again, well, can you talk about it? Or, oh, yeah. I, 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 I don't want you to, I don't you to give the story away. No, people the, read and go, oh, man, that damn Zima guy ruined the damn pit bull book. <laughs> we don't like him. Turn the station off, honey. Zima guy's uh, talking about the pit bull. No, so, we, no, so what, your wife wrote the script, and was right. it easy for her to put it into a children's book? Not easy to okay. trans because it's a it terrific be screenplay. Right. You've got to boil it down because kids are illiterate. Yeah, <laughs> no, but they, they, they don't get. I mean, three-year-olds are illiterate. They can't read. They, they can't. Um, no, but we, we had to say, look, here's uh, this dog happens to be a pit bull. He's maligned right out of the gate. His chances are less than average. Nobody wants a pit bull around Park Avenue. This lady adopts him, and her boyfriend's like, "That's a pit bull. Okay. What are you doing? He's going to grow up and kill somebody." He doesn't say that in the children's book, but it's implied. He's right. thrown out of the dog park. You can't have a pit bull. And the dog feels like, what did I do? Right. And it's really, the book is about discrimination. And it's about this sweet-natured dog who has instincts and he has heart. And, and, and he, accident, he accidentally gets uh, put out of the, where he lives. And he ends up in, having an adventure in New York. He ends up in Harlem at a squat where all these homeless dogs live and party. He has all these adventures in the city, and um, I won't tell you the ending, but it's a very sweet story. It's very, it's, um, my wife's a terrific writer with a huge heart, and I got to do these paintings that are full of life and, and depth. He, the, the dog does Shakespeare, uh, now, sort of. 
I have a question. Yeah. When you when you were painting the dogs, yeah. Did you paint them big and then shrink it down, or did you have to paint them? You said because you said they're oil paintings, right? I think it'd be very hard to paint a small oil painting. I don't know because I don't really paint. Well, no. Some of the the paintings are three feet by four feet. A lot of them, and there's twenty dogs on on some of them. The dogs can be five okay. or six inches, and then there's some that only have three or four dogs in them, and the dogs are bigger. But yes, I had to paint them really big and photograph them, and then and make them real clear. Because these are people's dogs. And, you know, people have called me that, that I gave advanced copies to crying, saying that's my dog's alive now in living immortally in this children's Right, book. right. And that, that was a huge, I don't know if we're going to make money. I think it, it really could be well, a bestseller, children, but who knows? You don't know. I mean, that's the thing with children's books. You have no idea. It's no. like, and that's the, and it's so funny. It's, but the thing about children's book is you always remember those books. Like I, I saw yesterday yeah. was Marie Sendak's 85th birthday. Yes. And on Google, they had the thing. But I still remember going to the library, you know, when kids went to libraries because there was right. no internet. Libraries. And yeah, I wouldn't, and right. I remember getting that book. And I still remember, even it's like, the wild thing, I used yeah. to get, I got that, and then I used to get a Br'er Rabbit. Right. And my mom could never, because I talk so fast, she didn't know what I was saying. She was like playing Welsh rarebit or something. I don't know. And I'm reading cookbooks about some English food. Right. But no, I, but that's the thing. A kid's book, it just takes, like, to hit, like, a few kids. And kids' mm-hmm. books are types that do the tipping point. You know, the, the right. thing that that one author talked about, the tipping point, where if a kid, right. if some kids in a school like it, right. especially now with social media, if some parents goes, oh, my God, this book is great, then it just, it keeps going well the, you make a good point and, and that's one of the reasons I took it to uh, I, uh, I was lucky enough to go to a career day in an inner city school a lot of these kids have pit bulls right and I brought a couple of the paintings and I read an expert they went the second third graders they were all you know in that age about a hundred of them uh, all in four different segments um, they went crazy for it and the, here's the point I really want to make this point about this book there's going to be um, a, a, an afterward for kids about how to respect and love dogs. Because it's about a pit bull, we have to be responsible. You can't run up to a pit bull and stick your face right. in a pit bull's face. How do you approach dogs, kids? You know, and, and we have an expert writing what you need to do about asking the owner about how to safely approach any dog. It you have to, yeah, that's bull. true, though. You have to, because kids don't get it. And yeah. this is a huge point about this book, is that we, we put this in, an expert's writing, and somebody who's uh, tied to the, pit, the, the, the dog whisperer, to say, okay, we're writing this book about a pit bull, but we're also including a how-to for kids about how to be safe around dogs, how to respect them. Don't pull their tail. Right. Don't torture them. Don't abuse them. This will start a generation of kids... I believe that that this whole, you know, these poor malign pit bulls will start to have a better life because right. we're teaching our kids something. That's part of the mission, to be, help kids be safe and to help pit bulls have a better, a loving story about a pit bull is a good start. Right. Now, when can people start getting that book? In two weeks. Two weeks. Now, where can they get it? Amazon. It's oh. going gonna, gonna to be about $2 to buy the ebook. Okay. And then we'll see what happens. If we sell a lot of ebooks, who knows? Yeah, because the ebooks are so convenient. It's oh. funny because I, I have the Google Nexus yeah. tablet, and I know a girl who had a book on Kindle. I'm like, right. well, I can't get Kindle. But then I found out I could download the Kindle on, your computer. And I, on, my, on my tablet, the Nexus, yeah. and then now I can sit there and I got her book, and I'll right. get your book. I'll check Please. it out. Please. It's because you know? I think it's a worthy read. 
It's got a big, huge heart. It's very funny. Good. I wanna, I'm, I'm excited. Anyway, Thanks. I want to I thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. I love talking to you. Okay, uh, what, what, what do you. Where can people find you? You know, Are you tweeting? Are you Twittering? I don't, even, I don't know how to tweet. Right, I'm on right. Facebook a lot, and okay. we're going to be doing a lot of stuff on Facebook. And it's under your name. And you, Well, no, the book is under Montague, The Pitbull of Park Avenue. That's on Facebook? On Facebook, if you want to go ahead and like it. And in a couple of weeks, it'll be available for sale on Amazon. And you can probably get the... Uh, you, and if they like the book, then they mm-hmm. can... It will say where to get it and all that stuff. Yeah, and it, you know, we'll see where it goes. I got... Good, a good feeling about it. We've put all our heart into this for the last year, and uh, it, it brought me closer to my wife. That's good. That's good. Nice. And are you personally on Facebook, or can they find clips of you on YouTube or anything? Yeah, or? I'm on YouTube all over the place. Okay, they just type in the people. It's R O G E R K A B L E R. It's not like Roger R O D G E R C A B B. It's Roger Cabler. C A B B. So look them up and uh, uh, yeah, and check out the book awesome. Montague. Montague. Oh. How do you spell Montague? M O M O N T A. I know. I can't think right now. There's G and N U E. G U E. Montague. M O N T A G U E. That's exactly what it is. Montague. The Pitbull of Park Avenue. I want to thank you for being on, Roger. You're awesome. Thanks for having me. People uh, follow me at Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. Also, I have a Cooper Talk page on uh, Facebook. Type in Cooper Talk. All my uh, past episodes, I have a picture of the guests. Click on the guest. Then click on the link, because the link will take you right to my website, coopertalk.net, with that specific show. Also, um, send me an email, cooper at indie100.com. I'd like to hear from you. Uh, coopertalk.net, I said I have 175 episodes up. Stitcher Radio, iTunes, type one word, search Cooper Talk. Uh, June 17th, June 19th, whatever that Wednesday is, I'll be at the Parks Casino in Ben Salem, PA. And listen to me Thursday nights on the Big Daddy Graham Show out of Philadelphia. I'm usually on at midnight Pacific Coast time. Anyway, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Roger. Thank you so much, Steve. You're, people, you're awesome. Thank you, people. Uh, my name's Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. And remember, stay thirsty, eat your veggies, and take your vitamins. Have a good weekend. <laughs>